In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Bridget Schwartz. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Of course, you just heard a new voice there. Bridget, welcome to your inaugural Betches Up <laughs> podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> I can't believe this is this is the first time that our audience is going to hear your voice because you're such a huge part of the Betches Up. But finally, finally, today's the day. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Bridget is our content assistant for news and activism, but she's basically just my right hand woman, Sammy's right hand woman. You're a lot of people's right hand. You have a lot of hands, <laughs> a lot of right hands. <laughs> <laughs> so many hands. So many hands. So many hands. Bridget is with us today because we have truly an incredible interview. We just chatted with Alexis McGill Johnson, who is the CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. She was so lovely, wasn't she? She was amazing. I was like, I mean, uh, most of our guests, like sometimes they're kind of serious and then sometimes our guests are kind of like silly. And I expected her to like, I mean, she, we got a great mix. We got a great mix. She is obviously the CEO of Planned Parenthood. There's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of weird vibes right now. And we really just like stewed in it together. And it was great. Yeah, it was like lovely. Just so <laughs> lovely. I know. I, I know. I almost thought we were, forgot we were recording. I wish I could like text her like we should do that again sometime. <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. If only. So stick around for that. We talk all about, you know, Planned Parenthood is so important right now. I mentioned um, I mentioned in the interview that I know personally, as I've heard about a lot more people's abortion stories, um, how many people rely on Planned Parenthood? I know you you interned for Planned Parenthood. Or like they've been part of your kind of activism for a while, right? Yeah, I in college, I like helped run our campus's Planned Parenthood Generation Action Chapter, which is kind of like how I learned about activism more yeah. and like got really into politics and like women's rights stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I like would volunteer and intern with them over the summers and everything Everyone who I've like worked with and met there is like the loveliest person. <laughs> yeah, totally. And what I'm realizing now, which is really cool about the conversation you'll just hear is, Bridget, you're 22 or 23? 23. 23. I'm almost 33. Alexis McGill Johnson mentioned she's 49. So we really have like three, three solid generations part of this conversation. So stick around with our interview with Planned Parenthood CEO, Alexis McGill Johnson. And today we're here with Alexis McGill Johnson. She is the CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I was thinking if there's anyone I truly hope gets to enjoy their weekends these days, it's you. Did you did you get to do anything that took your mind away from I'm gesturing broadly at everything? <laughs> you know, I um I decided to host 20 girls for my 10-year-old's birthday party. So <laughs> Oh wow. <laughs> the most relaxing you could do weekend. anything. <laughs> but they were so badass. They did, you know, an escape room. One one group came out in like 25 minutes. They'd figured it all out. And I said, you know what? The future's bright. I'm, I'm doing really good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's impressive. That's Did you create the escape room? Did you orchestrate it? 
Is it no, like a download? Just got them there. Um, oh and, you know, I think they just saw all the pieces and they put all the puzzles together. So, you know, I feel I feel very good and hopeful. That makes me happy. That makes me happy. We need them in Congress for sure. We are so privileged to be chatting with you during a very critical time for reproductive rights, to say the least. So we're going to get right into it. We have been hearing from from some of your colleagues that you at Planned Parenthood have been strategizing around how to provide abortion access to the most women in anticipation of Roe falling for, for a while now, even before the draft opinion leaked. You have been anticipating, you know, this summer, some dramatic changes. And so I'm curious what happened when the leaked draft came out, if it changed your strategy, if it is simply hastening some of that work, kind of take us back to uh, what that moment was like for you and your colleagues and then the actions that you took right away. Yeah, look, you know, our motto's got to be, you, you can't get ready, you got to stay ready. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and that's that's real. So for you know, the last, uh, at least since the beginning of the of the last administration, when we saw these judges getting confirmed to the, uh, not just the Supreme Court, but the federal judiciary, and the number of cases that had been winding their way already through these bad courts, you know, really indicated to us that um, the courts were no longer our backstop, right? Certainly having a supermajority on the Supreme Court means that there is a willing um, opposition that exists in the Supreme Court to, uh, to overturn Roe. I think they've been very vocal about that. And so at the beginning of seeing, um, I would say, September 1, when um, they allowed the SB8 law to go into effect in Texas, effectively rendering themselves ineffective because they you know, allow them to like pass this law without going through judicial review. Um, and then hearing the oral arguments um, really just kind of double down. So where we are right now, right, is, you know, uh, plans that, as you indicated, have been um, years in the making they look like, you know, first and foremost, what does it mean to get care to people and people to care, right? What is What are the ways in which, you know, um, and what we know now from, from Texas being so draconian is uh, we know what people want to do, how they want to receive their care, and really understanding where we need to uh, place, um, you know, centers, where we need to partner differently, what kind of support, wraparound support patients need. What kind of technology support, gas money, you know, those are the sorts of things that, as you can imagine, entails in actually just getting care um, to people and people to care. You know, from a um, advocacy standpoint, you know, I, you also saw last weekend, right, the fierceness and the fire that came out with that draft opinion, right? That was also planned in advance that coincidentally, the wow. day of action, we had been planning that day just to start to warm up the muscles mm -hmm. um, because we've been in COVID for the last couple of years. We haven't had like mass demonstrations around yeah. this work and, you know, and all through Texas, again, our priority has been to get care to people. And so really um, gearing up an advocacy muscle going into the next five months has been really important. And we saw a million people, like from the draft opinion to May 14, mm -hmm. we had a million people, that's 11 days. A million people show up at 450 events across the country wow. and just like on fire. So and you, know, you, you, you were ready. I mean, Bridget and I turned out you were ready. Everybody participating was ready with signs and, and swag and people were ready to represent. That's right. We stay ready. Yeah. To like jump back into it. What I guess pre row was a completely different world than we're living in now. So in 2022, what does like a post row world look like to you? And I guess, how does Planned Parenthood fit into that as an organization too? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, pre-Roe, pre-1973, 
Um, again, what didn't happen was abortion stopping, right? People still yeah. sought access to abortion, um, oftentimes in illegal and more unsafe ways. But you could only get uh, abortion um, legally in New York, Puerto Rico, uh, Kansas at some point. Um, you know, what it will look like in a post um, row uh, world will be there will be daily 24 states in, immediately that will still have availability. We know that there are 26 now that are poised to and emboldened really to, to move um, very extreme legislation uh, that would restrict access. So it would look like the maps that people are seeing with a large swath of the Midwest and South rendering, um, rendered kind of um, essentially, you know, uh, with no access to care and provision. But we should also remember, I think that this got lost the day of the leak, right? The leak happened sometime late on a Monday night. Monday morning, the opposition rolled out their playbook for where they really wanted to go around the Supreme Court. They thought that uh, even if the court comes back with a 15-week ban, essentially letting the Mississippi law stand, that where they really want to go is a six-week ban, right? And so a nationwide six-week ban, which would impact, obviously, the entire country. So, you know, what a post-real world looks like is actually, you know, we, like we still have to create that, right? We still have opportunities to, to step in and say, okay, are we really willing to let ourselves roll all the way back, you know, when this right is put back to the state, knowing that they're going to continue to amp up um, and I'm sure go for uh, eventually a constitutional amendment guaranteeing, you know, personhood to unborn, you know, fetuses. So like, that is the reality of what we are looking at. And so it becomes even more incumbent for us to, you know, really double down and fight state by state to ensure that we are, you know, both on a federal level, expanding our Senate majority, fighting for governors, making sure that these state houses are getting, you know, flipped and also on a local level, you know, being like, OK, wh what are we actually doing? here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as, you know, this moment has kind of demanded or encouraged people to, you know, be more open about their experiences with abortion access. I know personally I have heard so many people that I didn't know had experiences directly with Planned Parenthood that did um, because you just even though abortion is accessible now, it's not really as accessible as you might think until you kind of try to access it. So I just have been personally overwhelmed recently by how many people that Planned Parenthood is part of their abortion story. Honestly, it's the best part of my job is yeah. saying I work for Planned Parenthood and uh, it opening up for people an opportunity for them to talk about what Planned Parenthood has meant for them. And I, you know, whether I'm sitting on a plane or at an event or, you know, just happened to match, like I had on a, a Planned Parenthood tea this, this weekend running around cool, in the state yeah. rooms. <laughs> and, um, you know, people just stop me and they, they want to have a comfort, not necessarily know him, but just like, it just evokes that, um, experience. And look, I mean, one out of four women has been to Planned Parenthood in their lifetime. Um, so it clearly is a place that reaches, you know, a significant amount of, of, of folks. And we've been there through some of their most intimate times, whether they're talking about sex, talking about gender identity, getting an abortion, getting access to birth control and IUD. Like those are ways in which they know that we have shown up for them as a key part of the public health. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift, because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click 
gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com, and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Somebody I wish would ask you more questions is Senator Bill Cassidy. I think this would be a good time to discuss some of the risks associated with childbirth and uh, how our national leaders seem to take them for granted. So over the weekend, of course, Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, which has the nation's highest maternal mortality rate, suggested that this rate was skewed because black women are more likely to suffer legal complications. I mean, in that case, he's not wrong, but he seemed to be saying this in order to defend, to be defensive of this rate as if like, oh, but ours wouldn't be so bad if if we didn't have all of these black women, I guess that just doesn't factor into him. So this really, this is a medical doctor and we talk about institutionalized racism, a medical, I know, a medical <laughs> doctor, a gastroenterologist. And he is saying, well, this, if, as long as you control for black women, then it's, it's not that bad. I mean, what do you think when you hear those comments? I mean, with all you know that you have to work against and then you just hear something like that, like, oh, this too? You know, I mean, I saw it like first thing in the morning of the day and I was like on Twitter and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. First of all, let, like, let's be clear. Louisiana has the highest maternal mortality rate in the U.S. Okay. It is triple the U.S. average. Good so when God. We say, when we say like black women are three to four times more likely to die than white women across the U.S. In Louisiana, we're talking 17 times, God. right? Like that's insane, Right. You also have like a third of your constituents are black people. Yeah. So like right. basically just saying like a third of y'all don't even matter. You I know. also thought like your tax bakes, like these people pay you. What is this? No, saying? like you are representing your kids. No. 
So, I mean, so what is it? So what comes to mind, right? Um, look, racism is a public health crisis, right? And, um, and it is really hard to fight the systems, the institutionalizing of racism in public health care and healthcare broadly, and in, particularly in public health care, when in fact, people are, aren't even being discreet. They don't even feel like they have to hide their racism. Right. I mean, like the beautiful benefit in the world that we lived in a post civil rights era was the fact that racism became a moral evil. And I am just really grappling with the fact that um, in so many realms today, people honestly feel very proud of showing up in this way. So I, it's, it's just offensive. It tells you exactly what they think about black women. Do you worry that as the Supreme Court announces its final decision and we kind of navigate what the world looks like after that, that Planned Parenthood will continue to be villainized by anti-abortion groups or even that like it might get worse too? Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think there's any world where, you know, where there won't be opposition to abortion, where there won't be opposition to Planned Parenthood is representing that um, the value of self-determination and freedom. I don't think that, you know, I think they will continue their tactics of misinformation and disinformation, you know, and we will be right there. Like, you know, them not liking us is actually <laughs> fueled to our, you know, 17, 20 million supporters, right, of folks who are ready to take action at every turn. So um, it will just it will just fuel us um, and we will continue to fight back as, as people come to expect us to do. That's incredible. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, targets on providers and maternal mortality. And we talk a lot about just the dangers of outlawing abortion in general. I'm wondering if there's anything you lie in bed at night thinking about related to this issue or what might happen when Roe is overturned that is just not getting enough attention, something that maybe just isn't top of mind that will absolutely be like an externality. We start hearing about this if indeed 26 states immediately outlaw abortion. Yeah, I think I think there are two things that I've been thinking a lot about. The first is, you know, that I actually think the leak um, helped us address. Like prior to the leak, one of the challenges that we were grappling with was that people just didn't believe it was going to happen. Right. It was, you know, we we talked, we did our own internal polling and we saw that only a third of Americans believe that Roe could actually be overturned. And that's even with like being nine months into Texas's uh, SB8 ban against abortion for six weeks. Since the leaks, now 71% of voters believe that the right is at risk. I mean, I'm not sure why they don't, why it's not mm -hmm. like 100% given like it was very clear in the, in the draft opinion that was, um, that was <laughs> right. Funny. But, you know, I think we have to recognize the fact that this has never happened before and having a constitutional right taken away. And the thing that really worries me is that people don't fully understand the impact yet of what that means for people on the other end of these bands, right? I can talk in data, I can talk in systems, um, but at the end of the day, there are actual individuals who are seeking access to abortion, who are afraid of involving other people because they don't want them to be criminalized or surveilled or sued, who are traveling alone, who are, you know, desperate to get the care they need, most likely already mothers because the majority of people seeking access are already parents, right? And they, they're making decisions about for the family they have, right? For the community that they, they live in. And, you know, and that's where I really feel like, you know, helping people understand what it will look like when a system that was, you know, has been set up and hasn't been perfect by any stretch now falls to a handful of states to absorb the access to care, now falls to a handful of providers 
who can stay in practice because those other folks who, you know, have gone to medical school, probably still paying off their medical loans, will will have to make different choices or or may think about making mm-hmm. different choices because the reality is, you know, they they will have to make a choice between living where they are and not providing or moving um, and, and identifying an opportunity elsewhere. Like that's the reality. Um, we had a patient in a um, in a hospital in Texas with an intended pregnancy, or one of one of our providers had been seeing this patient, and um, she was told um, after she learned that the pregnancy was no longer viable that you know there was nothing they could do, for her and that she would essentially have to go home and and wait for sepsis to settle it. And so the choices that even hospitals are making because of hospital administrators and workers, the choices that, you know, will impact, you know, whole healthcare systems across the country because of people being pushed into other areas to get care. That's what we're not talking about. Um, the fact that we are essentially not only eroding healthcare systems, but we are eroding trust inside of healthcare, right, which is the currency. You cannot trust your provider to offer you the best, you know, um, medical procedure that you ask for. That's going to impact the way in which people are treated and cared for. And that, you know, I think is a, is a long term effect that we don't even know how to quantify. Right now. Gosh, yeah. As you described that story before Bridget gets to the next one, I, I'm thinking you hear all these hypotheticals that people use to try to get um, anti-abortion rights people to understand, like, well, what would you do if there was four toddlers over here? And four fetuses over there. It's like, these aren't hypotheticals. You just described a woman who was already on the planet who, you know, her life is is now at risk. So this, this is already happening. Yeah, it's already happening. It's already happening. And I mean, as all of this is happening, primaries and midterms are going on in the background too. Um, and I know Planned Parenthood isn't necessarily a political organization. It's a reproductive health care organization primarily. But what would you like to see for potential senators who could codify Roe or consider judicial reforms, all things that would have huge implications on reproductive rights moving forward? You know, yeah, we are not a, we are a health care provider, first and foremost, and health care has been politicized. Right. So, you know, as as president of the Planned Parenthood Action Fund, I will tell you that voters will look at the candidates uh, up and down the ballot this year in particular to defend the right to abortion and all the freedoms that we stand to lose. Right. I think that is something really incredibly important to understand. Poll after poll shows that people understand that this is about power and control. At the end of the day, like, do they get power and control over their body or do they want politicians to make these decisions for them? And I think what what you're seeing right now is that abortion is already dominating the midterm election cycle. Uh, You see um, a number of folks, there was a a mammoth poll um, that indicated that that a quarter of all um, adults have indicated that abortion is their top issue um, in a PBS poll. Um, we've also seen that the enthusiasm gap has increased dramatically among Democrats around this issue, like almost by a 26 point margin. And so I think that that is really what we are seeing. Um, and, you know, we've gone to we've gone from just a few weeks ago saying like, you know, oh, my God, the midterms, it's going to be, I know. you know, uh, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be like a sweep. To now being like, oh, no, there is actually an opportunity to maintain a majority of people who support 
you know, access to abortion and they can even expand that majority. Um, and I think that that is, you know, that's really powerful. And the more the other side continues to come out their mouth with crazy things like what Senator Cassidy said or, you know, what the bill that they introduced in Louisiana that's like wants to make IUDs and, and Plan B homicide. Halfway out know? of the birth canal. <laughs> saying exactly. Against, you know, against yeah. IVF. Like, come right. on. Like, this the more popular. we go, the less popular it be. So, yeah. Again. As as you were saying that voters are saying abortion is their number one issue, I just had Lizzo's about damn time playing in my head because it's <laughs> exactly, been like right? so many others for so long. So to close the loop here, I mean, I kind of have a, two questions to end. My biggest one is just how you stay motivated. I mean, this moment is demanding so much of you and many of us who have done nothing but fight for this for lifetimes for some people. What is your advice for kind of lifting your head out of the fog of you know rage and exhaustion we're all feeling? And then the second question, just to make sure. You, how can we help you and help Planned Parenthood, you know, really rally in this moment? Because we're really all in this like together. It's a sisterhood. It is. Yes. And I'm so excited to be with you all, bitches. <laughs> awesome. No, because, you know, so I um, I meditate a lot on this poem um, by Alice Walker called Hope is a Woman Who Lost Her Fear. Whoa. And, right. And And it just like every time I think about that line. I think about the fact of like, what does it mean to be fully unapologetic? What does it mean to be fully, you know, unafraid in a moment where, you know, this is like, it, it is about abortion. And it also is so representative of so many other fundamental rights that we care about. So there is hope because, because I can see people reacting to it, right? I can see how it is affecting folks and folks who've never engaged in conversation. Yes, it's about damn time. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, this is a moment that, you know, we have to ask ourselves newly, right? And particularly as our, you know, for our generation, right? Like I grew up with the right, I'm 49 years old. It's always been present in my life. And now we have to ask ourselves, who are we going to be when we are no longer defending Roe, right? What is it going to mean for us um, as the leaders that this happened on our watch? And we have got to, you know, we got to get it together to think about like, how are you going to build even more expansive, inclusive right mm-hmm. around equality? And what, how are we going to kind of unleash our own brain power and our, you know, people power in order to make that happen? So like that gives me hope, even in the midst of, of all of this crazy. Um, and the support, you know, look, I mean, I, I think it's really, we are always grateful for the support that you can give to Planned Parenthood, PlannedParenthood.org. You can support your local affiliate wherever you are. I think it's also important to support the independent providers in, in the states where we are losing access. Um, you know, many of them are critically important to um, to maintain the lawsuits that will continue to happen in those states as we fight. So you can go to keepourclinics.org to learn more about those particular um, providers and abortion funds. The National Network of Abortion Funds, um, abortionfunds.org are helping people get access to care. Uh, like I said, you know, at this point, it's like, it's gas money, it's, right. it's hotels, it's transportation. It's, you know, we have, you know, some of our providers, you know, are literally digging in their, in their drawers, yeah. their desk drawers and giving people snacks for their mm-hmm. long journeys. And I think that, you know, whether you are fighting on a, you know, um, you know, supporting kind of a broad network or just doing what you can locally, I think it just matters so, so much. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Bridget Schwartz. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. Bye.
The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.